Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Father, we thank you for that name. The name above every other name. The name of Jesus. Father, that in a garden, thousands of years ago, on your knees you declared, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And that you were obedient even under death on the cross because of a father's love for his children. Father, we're so grateful. We're so thankful. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the word of God. Father, this morning I pray that it would just penetrate hearts. Father, that it would be made alive. A living word, a rhema word this morning. Season for our people to hear and receive. Father, we just honor you this morning. We thank you. Come on, church. Why don't you just lift up the name of Jesus one more time this morning in the house of God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. God, we honor you. Come and have your way this morning in this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you by faith into this house. Move amongst your people, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Church, hey, well, you may take a seat this morning. Welcome to C3 Noosa. So good to have you in the house. God is on the throne. South Africa won the World Cup. He is alive. The gospel is true. All is right with the world. Amen. Amen. Hey, no. Well, who's been enjoying this month getting a little bit deeper into the Word? Ephesians. It's good. Amen. We've got to get a little deeper into the Word sometimes as believers. And sometimes we've just got to take a minute to stop and thank God for His Word. Amen. Thank God for His Word because I want to remind you that it's not just another book. It's not just another book with more words on a page. But we know that it is a living Word, an active Word, a powerful Word that has transformative power. And if you would commit your life to simply reading it and immersing yourself in it and hearing it and meditating on it, then I promise you this, it will change you. It will change you. You will experience the blessings of God. You will walk in alignment to His purpose. You will walk in His promises. You'll be equipped to overcome. But who understands that sometimes in this dog-eat-dog world that it's a little bit tricky at times to do that, if we're honest, amen? And, you know, but everything you need, the truth still remains that everything you need to live life well, as God has designed you to live it, rests between the covers of this book. Yes. Which is kind of a crazy thing to think if you would just commit yeah. your life to this, yeah. you will live an amazing life. Amen. Which is crazy. And just like the great general, Israeli general Joshua, we read in the book of Joshua, he's preparing to lead Israel over the Jordan River into Canaan in the promised land. God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. You're the man. Get up, prepare yourself. And God comes to him and almost gives him a bit of a pep talk before he moves into promised land. And what I find interesting about the scripture is God doesn't say, Joshua, ready yourself and be prepared. Take confidence in your battle plan, in your army, in your sword, in your numbers, in your horses, in your chariots. No, he says, if you would but hold on to my word. You're going to have good success. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to overcome. In Joshua 1, 7 to 8, it says, Only be strong 
and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I find that so crazy. <laughs> all that is in front of you, I've got your back. I'm taking care of you if you would simply not let my word depart from your mouth. If you would meditate it. If you choose my word, you will overcome. If you choose my word, you will enter into my promises. So how do we close that gap between understanding what the promises of God are and actually receiving them? We close that gap through the Word of God. And so this morning, I want to finish off Ephesians. We've been studying this month, and I want to remind us again, as, as uh, Pastor Melissa said last week, it was penned by the Apostle Paul around 60, 61 AD. It was a letter written to the believers in Ephesus, encouraging them to mature and keep growing in their faith. That Paul lays out for them these godly truths and these godly principles, and he said, if you would adopt those in your life, and start living according to them, then you're going to have fruit. Your life will begin to bear witness of what? Of the work of Jesus Christ to others. So Paul's encouraging them. And so this morning I want to focus around some points that we, we read about in, in chapter 5 and 6. Really, it's going to be marriage, it's going to be parenting, and it's going to be warfare. But I want to start a bit back to front and start with warfare because I believe in order to do marriage well, and in order to parent well... We've got to know how to fight well. Amen? Who knows that's the truth? And so Paul begins with us in Ephesians 6, chapter 10, uh, verse 10, and it says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So the first step in understanding warfare as believers is understanding whose strength we are actually fighting in. Yeah. I want to remind us this morning that your strength is not enough. That our strength at times will fail. Our strength at times will give in to the pressures of life that just happen. Our strength doesn't have the ability to endure. And so Paul wants to remind us right off the bat when we're talking about warfare, not to trust in the limitations of your own strength. But he says you have a God that has called you to step into and engage in His strength, in His spirit, by His power we engage in warfare. Amen. He says verse 11... Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So there is actually a faith exchange that you and I have to partake of daily. What is that? That is us as believers every day being able to put off our cares and our concerns and the worries of life that seem to be laid on us all day every day. To put those off at the foot of the cross. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burdens on the Lord. And He will sustain you. So there's this faith exchange where every day as believers we put off that which the world has put on us. Yeah. Cares, concerns, anxieties, depression, worries. And then we've got to put on something. Mm. We can't leave it at that. We've got to put on Christ. We've got to put on the armor of God. We've got to come into our marriages. We've got to come into our parenting, into our relationships wearing the armor of God. Right. And so in verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness 
in the heavenly places. So you are not fighting your husband. You're not fighting your wife. Your children are not the enemy. Sometimes it feels like they are, but they're not. You know, you're not fighting your boss. You're not fighting your pastors, fighting the church. We've got to understand so often the aggravations and frustrations and battles that we see in the natural have a supernatural implication. That there's spirits of darkness, rulers of wickedness that are trying to demantle your life. And what you're seeing is just a physical manifestation of it. But Paul is saying, I want to remind you, it's important to understand, you're fighting principalities and powers that you're not necessarily seeing with your visual eye, right? Waging war against the enemy who only has one objective. He's not here to give you a break. He's not here to give you downtime. He only wants to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. And unfortunately, he's very good at being consistent with that in your life. I want to shake us maybe a little bit this morning out of apathy to understand that just because you don't see him doesn't mean he's not working against you. Just because you've said yes to Jesus doesn't mean you have immunity to the enemy. Paul says you've actually got to take action. You've got to do something in your life. You have to fight the good fight of faith or you will be overcome. Kind of a sobering thought when you think about it, but we're all called to stand our ground and fight. Amen. Here's the deal. Joshua crosses the Jordan. His feet land on promised ground finally. But just because he stepped onto promised land, he still had to fight battles before he was able to actually inherit it. He still had to overcome the enemy before God fully released the promise to Joshua and the people. So just because you are in a marriage, just because your kids are great, whatever the case may be, there are still going to be battles we must face in order to overcome what the enemy is bringing against us. But it's okay. We can do it. Paul says, "I've, I've I've got a strategy for you. I've got a plan for you. If you're obedient to it, you will overcome. We've got to understand who it is that we are fighting against. Yeah. And then who it is that is fighting for us. Amen. That's good. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul is calling the believers to stand. We are creating a culture very quickly in this life that says if it's too hard, if it's inconvenient, if it's going to take effort, if it's going to take work, just don't stand, sit down or move away or give, give something else a try. If marriage is becoming inconvenient, just leave it. If you don't feel like parenting, don't worry about it. The kids will look after themselves. It's okay. Who knows right now we're seeing a generation of yeah. young people that clearly haven't been parented, yeah, right? Parents have gone, well, I'm done. Figure it out for yourselves, right? How many times do we see kids and we're like, where are their parents? What's going on, right? We're creating a culture where it says, do what's easy, yeah. do what comes quickly. If, if you've got to do it, if you've got to sew into it, if you've got to stand and it's too much, just don't worry about it. But what about a people and a generation of believers that go, you know what, no, no, we're actually prepared to stand. We're actually prepared to set a standard in our lives, put some boundaries around the place and say, enemy, just guess, just understand, this is holy ground. My marriage is holy ground. My kids are holy ground. My relationships are holy ground. You don't actually have a right or authority to walk upon it. And if you do, you're going to face me full of the armor of God, ready to take you out. Because I don't accept the fact that I'm overcome. I'm fighting the good fight of faith. Amen. Church, I want to call us this morning. We have to actually make decisions by faith to stand. And this is what Paul is charging the believers. Don't give way to opinion. Don't give way to discouragement. Don't give way to the mountains that stand before you. 
Put on the armor of God. Understand in whose strength it is that you fight. And then make a decision by faith to stand. Because God will come through. Amen. We've got to be empowered to fight for what is important. And here's the thing. Your own armor, your own strategy, your own opinion, your own strength is not strong enough to stop the fiery darts from the enemy piercing you. God says it's only in my armor that you can stand against the enemy. In my strength, you can resist him, not in yours. Amen. You know, last, last week, the week before, Angela and I celebrated 20 years of marriage, yeah. which is crazy. But I can tell you that in those 20 years, there were seasons and there were times where the devil threw everything he could at us. We went through some dark valleys and I had to learn very quickly how to stand and fight for Ange, fight for my marriage, fight those battles and begin to see, grow up in God, mature enough to see that what we were struggling with was not each other. Mm -hmm. It was these spiritual principalities and powers behind that trying to dismantle us and take us out. And so I had to learn every day how to come into our marriage, putting on the armor of God, ready to fight against what the enemy was bringing. Because of that, I can stand and give testimony to 20 years of marriage. Now, is it always perfect? No, it's not. Every morning, some mornings, I wake up with a pillow firmly being pushed over my face, but it's getting less. It's getting less than what it was, so we're making progress. And is a very forgiving, gracious woman, so we're going to get there. But we've got to learn to fight for what is important. We've got to learn to fight. This is what Paul is saying here. Be prepared to stand, right? Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I love this. Above all, taking the shield of faith. I love how Paul describes faith. Faith is a shield. Faith is designed to cover you. Faith is designed to protect you. Faith is this beautiful thing that allows you to keep going, to keep pushing, to keep breaking barriers and taking ground in your, in your belief and in your world for Christ when you don't want to. It's faith that helps drive you forward. And it's faith that's designed to protect you against the lies and the accusations that the enemy will keep trying to fire at you in your life. If you know the Word of God, if you're strong in your relationship with Him, if you can stand on truth, that shield is lifted up in your life to protect you from the enemy. But here's the deal about faith. Faith isn't something that you just sit by and it passively comes along and engages you. Faith is something we, by choice, actively have to engage with through the Word of God. God gives us faith. When we receive Christ, but he says it's now up to you as a believer to work that faith, to strengthen that faith, to stir yourself up in the most inner parts, that your faith is outworked. Amen. We've got to engage with it. Romans 10, 17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we engage with the word of God, our faith is strengthened and we get better at being able to lift up that shield. I want you to hear me this morning when I say this. Your ability to actively engage, overcome, and defeat the enemy will be directly proportionate to the level of word exposure in your life. Did you hear me this morning, church? Your ability to actively engage with, overcome, and defeat the enemy is directly proportionate to the level of word exposure 
in your life. Why do I say that? Because here Paul gives us a description. What is the word of God like? It's a sword. Yeah. It's the only piece of armor we have that is designed to be go on the offensive. To cut down the enemy. To engage him in warfare. He's given us the word of God as a weapon to use against the enemy. Why? Because you know the enemy is coming. Amen. So let me ask you this. What good is a sword to a soldier on the battlefield if it stays in its sheath? Yeah. Mm. Not very good at all, right? Yeah. God has given us a tool so that we are able to learn how to wield it so that we can overcome. Yeah. That is the purpose of the Word of God, to strengthen us, to know and discover who our God is, but be able to use it as a weapon against the enemy when he comes. We've got to raise up a generation in the house of God that understand how to use a sword, yeah. that understand how to fight, understand how to wield it. And so many people, believers, get frustrated because their life seems so open to the attack of the enemy, but their Bible stay closed. What good is the Word of God if it's closed in your study or it's gathering dust on your bedside table? We've got to learn how to open the Word of God again and get deep enough into it that we have the ability and the capacity when the enemy comes against us, like Christ in the wilderness, we can take him on and take him out. Amen. Amen. Because we know the truth. We've got to get better at wielding that sword. Amen. We're designed by faith. To use a shield and through the word of God wield a sword so that we can engage with the enemy in warfare. Amen. The more time you spend in the word, the better equipped you become to engage in warfare. And so Paul finally exhorts the believers in verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So if the word uh, of God is your sword, then it's your mouth that is the muscle that we use to wield it. Amen. And I want to hinge and pivot my message this morning on really a key concept that for us as believers is absolutely crucial to understand. And it's found in Proverbs 18.21. It says this, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruit. I find that crazy. That this little muscle, all of about 8 centimeters that lives behind your teeth, literally has the power to either build up yeah. Or destroy your life. Yeah. Isn't that a scary thought? It is crazy, right? When you speak, you need to understand that you are either sowing life yeah. or you're sowing death. Speaking life, speaking death. It's a spiritual law that just like gravity will always work 100% of the time. What you sow in your life, yeah. you reap. What you speak out of your mouth, you reap. Amen. And so let me tie this together. God gives us His Word, which we know is a living, transformative Word full of power as we get to know it, as we read it, as we speak it, as we hear it. What does it do? It strengthens our faith. Mm-hmm. It develops our skill on the battlefield so that we can now take out the Word of God and come against the enemy. And as our faith grows, so we get better skilled at warfare and we keep moving forward, keep taking ground, keep stepping into the purposes God has for us. Paul wants to engage the believers to keep growing and keep maturing in their faith. What we sow, we reap. And so prayer is such a great platform, not just to speak to God, but to speak the word of God. Come on. Amen. And I love the picture Paul paints of the saints here. He says, we're all designed as vessels to be full of his spirit and full of his word. So that in all seasons, at all times, we have the ability to speak out not only over our own life, but over the lives of our believers. So when you're going some, through something in your life, I'm already equipped and full of the Word of God to come and speak truth where maybe you're too weak to speak it. Beautiful. To bring life where maybe you're just too tired to do it. Yeah. 
Paul says we've got to look out for one another in the church of Christ. Mm -hmm. But we've got to be equipped to do that. We've got to know the word of God so that we can help. And the beautiful thing is that when you're too weak, others come around you to help. When you're too weak, others come around to help move you forward, speaking truth, speaking the word of God. But we've got to get it on the inside of us first, church. Amen? Amen. It's such a powerful, powerful tool that literally changes life. Speak life, not death. Speak faith, not fear. Amen. And I want you to understand that it's not some pie in the sky kind of hippie mantra, woo woo stuff we're talking about here. This is simply aligning yourself with what God is saying. It's aligning yourself with the truth of God's word. And if you begin to speak in agreement, God's word in your life, I promise you things shift yes. and things change. Yes. So I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe it's time to get a little crazy and believe it and start doing it. That's yeah. good, mate. Just start doing it. See what happens. Maybe you've been speaking death for too long in a situation. I want to encourage you this morning. There's a word for someone. You've got to stop. You've got to start speaking life. Yeah. You've got to start speaking God's truth. Maybe you know what it is. You're just not speaking it. Begin to speak it. Begin to actively, by faith, agree with what God is saying in your life. Watch things shift and watch things change. Amen? And the same principles can be carried into our marriages and into parenting. So I want you to bear with me. I'm going to read a bit of scripture here around marriage. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Here we go. Strap yourselves in. Take a deep breath. We're going deep. Ready? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ, who also loved the church, gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, as of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there's two dynamics here Paul's talking about. He's talking about submission, and he's talking about love. Both are vital ingredients for a healthy marriage. But I want to premise what I want to say on this by saying this. So often, given the intimate nature of the covenant of marriage, what can happen very quickly over time when a man and a woman come into that covenant is that they begin to place the responsibility or look to the other person for their sense of identity, sense of value, validation, and self-worth. Rather than understanding before you're called into covenant of marriage, God says your identity, your validation, your self-worth is not in your partner, but it's in me. Yeah. It's in who I've called you to be. It's in the fact that I love you. I've approved you. I've affirmed you. There's nothing more you can do. You're loved. You're cherished. You're protected. You're built up in me. So rather than coming in with that identity, we come in looking for that from the other part. And then what happens? The unfortunate truth is we're all human. So in the covenant of marriage, what happens? At some point, your partner's going to hurt you, disappoint you, uh, break your heart, make you angry fall short of whatever it is and what happens is because you've placed all your hope of identity and self-value in that person 
You're shaken. It breaks you. It shakes you. You're confused. And you don't actually have the capacity to offer love and submission like Paul's talking about here. But the beautiful thing is that when we learn as believers that our value and our sense of self-identity and worth is in Christ first, and we can come into a marriage secure in that, it gives us the opportunity to give each other grace and space and forgiveness, to step out of ourselves. And you know what? At some point, we're probably going to do the wrong thing. We're going to mess up. We're going to hurt the person because we're human. But it's okay because we understand the nature of who they are. Our identity is in Christ. And so then we can boldly be able to offer grace, offer forgiveness, offer mercy, and journey with that person. And I want to encourage you this morning. One of the best skills you can learn, married couples, is this. That in the heat of battle, in the dark valleys, when the pressure's on, is learning the discipline of stepping out of yourself and asking two questions. One, what opportunity can I take right now to build up that other person? And number two, what responsibility can I take for where we're at right now? Two simple questions will change the dynamic in your marriage. What opportunity, no matter how hard it is, can I look to build that other person up? Maybe a kind word in the heat of battle. Maybe we're going to be okay. Husbands, maybe I'm sorry. Forgive me. And what responsibility can I take for where we're at? Because it always takes two to tango in marriage, right? What responsibility can I take? So, husbands, I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning. Here's the bad news. Unfortunately, a lot of problems generally start with the men. Why? Because spiritually, we're called to be the leaders in the relationship, to come into the family home and to lead it. To take action, to set an example. That's the responsibility on us. That we're to raise the standard and set the standard for what is our family going to be like? What values do we have? How do we, husbands, you're called to lead by example, to take action. And so here's the deal with that. Submission follows love. Love must always come first before there can be submission. Christ first loved us while we were sinners. Christ first chose to love, and then he chose to submit unto the cross. Love must always come before submission. So here's the thing. Husbands, submission is not owed to you. Submission is not your right. You can't demand submission. What God has called you to do in the family home, first as a leader, is to love as Christ loved. How did Christ love? He loved sacrificially. Beautiful. He loved forgiving others. He loved serving others. He loved putting others before himself. For my charge, my question to you husbands is this. Are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Are you loving her sacrificially? Are you putting her needs above your own? Are you quick to forgive? Are you quick to serve? Beautiful. Are you speaking life into your marriage or are you speaking death? Are you building her up by what you say, or are you pulling her down with the words you speak? Amen? You see, coming into a relationship requires us still to put on the armor of God. Husbands, are you coming into your relationship putting on the armor of God, relying on His grace, His wisdom, His love? Here's the beautiful thing about the covenant of marriage. It is designed by God. And it's by God that He unlocks its purpose, not yourself. So, husbands, in order to sacrificially love your wife, it can't be done simply in your own strength. It requires an empowerment and an anointing of God to do so. And wives, to submit 
to your husbands as a church submitted under Christ requires the power and spirit and anointing of God. That He's called us to do that. But here's the beautiful thing. I want to say, husbands, when you choose to love your wife as Christ loved the church, right? When the wife can see that you can be trusted to be consistent, not perfect, but consistent and diligent in the way you love, it creates an atmosphere and an environment where she can now trust you to be able to submit to you because she trusts that you are making decisions empowered by God. That you're walking. So many times I talk to husbands who are frustrated because the wife's not submitting, wife's not doing what you say, but I can tell you now he ain't loving his wife like Christ loves the church. He's not putting her needs above his own. He's not looking out for her. He's not walking in grace and forgiveness, yet he still expects submission. It doesn't work like that. So I want to put a charge out to us men as leaders in our homes to first set a standard of loving as Christ loved the church. When your wife is securing the fact that that's what you're doing and she can trust that your life is bearing the fruit of that, she can submit to it. Mm. She can trust in your leadership. She can trust that you're taking the family in the right direction. Amen? Very good. You see, respect is not given simply because of her position. So often husbands come into marriage. Well, I'm a husband. You should respect me. No, no. Respect is given. It's earned by the way you live your life. Respect is earned by the way you align what you say with what you do. Amen? All right. Get my soapbox on marriage. Move on to children. Amen. What about children? What about parenting? All right. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So as submission follows love, so I believe that obedience follows godly parenting, right? As it is in marriage, so it is in raising your children. Are you parenting simply out of a place of your own strength? Or are you coming to the altar of God and saying, God, help me. God, give me wisdom. God, give me discernment. God, give me grace to help journey this out with my kids and be the best parent that I can be. Amen. You see, never before has the power of the tongue to speak life and death been more important than when we talk about our children. So I want to ask you again, are you speaking life into your kids or are you speaking death? Are you building them up with the words you choose to speak as a parent? Or are you tearing them down? Because one of the biggest ways that our children grow and develop and mature and sort of find that true north and their sense of identity is by observing the way you as a parent live your life. Mm -hmm. The biggest way that they do that is simply by observation. So are you living in alignment with what it is that you believe? Well, Justin, what's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal. If you live one way and you say something else, Mm -hmm. eventually... Obedience is not simply just given because they trust you out of ignorance because you're just mommy and daddy, but kids get to an age where they begin to see the disconnect in your life. And when that happens, all of a sudden, obedience has to be demanded, has to be fought for. And what happens is the kids then push back on that, get angry, don't trust the way that you live, don't trust what you say, and what happens is they often end up in a worse place. 
in a wrong situation with people that don't need to be around. So I want to charge you this morning, live consistently what it is that you believe and what it is that you say. Bring the two into alignment so the kids can see that there's confluence there. And I'm telling you, it makes all the difference as yeah. they grow and mature and develop. Right, basically. Because when the foundations of consistency are strong, when we do what we do and what we say align, then even when we must bring discipline, it's constructive. It helps them grow and mature. It's not detrimental to their health. Mm. Proverbs 3, 11, 12 says this, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. When your kids know unequivocally that they are loved, yeah. then when you bring discipline, there's a growth and a maturing in it, not a destruction. Yes. When your kids know that you love them, their security that even when you've got to be bad cop, bring discipline, it helps them to grow and mature, yeah. not destruct them, right? And it's the old saying, more is caught than taught, right? Jesus models this beautifully in the life of his ministry, right? He came onto the earth declaring one thing, but he lived in alignment with what it is that he would say. And he lived in proximity with his disciples that just by watching Jesus do what he does, they were learning yeah. and they were growing and they were developing. Amen. Amen. So alignment, what you say and what you believe is what you walk out and proximity. Two things that are going to help you raise healthy kids. Live your life as a parent, modeling what it is that you believe and live in proximity to your children that they can see it as an example in their life. Spend that quality time. I don't have any time to spend my kids. I feel so guilty. It's not about quantity. What did I say? It's about quality. Make time just to give your focus 110% to your kids in moments. That's what they need. That's all they need. Amen. So how do we live in a way that shows consistency to our children? Show affectionate with one another in front of your children. Angie and I are very affectionate with one another in front of our kids purposely because I want my son to grow up understanding how it is that he should treat his wife. I want any of you to grow up and understand what it is that she should expect from a husband. Mm. That we're affectionate, that we've got each other's backs. Mm. Learn to be quick to apologize, sometimes in front of your kids. I've done that many times. <laughs> the kids have been in the room, but I'll come up to Anton and I'll apologize for things. Why? It's modeling for them to see how it is to live as they get older. It's What's good. the right way? Right. Work hard. Work hard. There's nothing wrong with hard work. Let your kids understand that they, I feel guilty, I'm working so hard. That's okay. Make time, quality time for your kids, but let them see you live a lifestyle where it's important to work hard. Mm. Instill in them a good work ethic when they're young. Prayer in the Word. Let your kids see you walking around the house praying. Mm. Let the kids see you reading the Word of God. It doesn't have to be every time in your quiet time, but model a life that aligns with what you believe. I believe in the Word of God. I believe in prayer. So that's what my house will be filled with. Let your kids see that. Take responsibility. Take responsibility as parents. Even if it's going to hurt, let your kids see that you're taking responsibility for your actions to your detriment if it be so. It's teaching them accountability in their life. And where it's appropriate, sit down and share struggles with your kids. That even mom and dad go through things they've got to work out. Yeah. There's struggles in their life, but they're going to do it together. Be a person that aligns what you say and what you believe for your kids. Amen? It's very good. Can we stand up this morning and I might get to see you if you're all right to come up and jump on the keys. Scripture we all know well is this, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I remember 2010, I was standing in my lounge room in Airlie Beach, just crying out to God. 
God, I want to know you. God, I feel like you're so far away. God, I'm so frustrated. You're not talking to me. You're not answering my prayers. We were in a transitional stage in our life where we were closing up a business we had up there and we had to decide where it is that we were moving and I felt a little bit lost in next steps and what God was going to do. And so I was coming to God and I was pressing in and I was saying, God, would you just speak to me and show me and I feel like I don't know you anymore and I'm confused what it is. You brought us here now. We're moving away. God, 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 what's going on? And I was crying out to him. And eventually I remember God as clear as day in a still small voice just saying to me, Justin, if you want to know me deeper, you've got to go deeper in my word. If you want to know me, you've got to know my word. But I can't take you there. You've got to go there yourself. I promise to, that you will find me when you seek me with all your heart, but you've got to seek me. And this morning I just want to raise a standard to you. To the great apostle Paul in Ephesians, seek God with all your heart. If you want to know God, I promise you it's not a mystery. It's not something we have to crack. If you want to know God, get into this. Get into the Word of God. He says, in the beginning was the Word. I am the Word. The Word is me. If you will get into this, it will change your life because you'll begin to know me. You'll start to trust me. I don't know if I can submit to the will of God. Well, maybe you don't trust Him. Why don't you trust Him? Well, maybe you're not spending enough time in this. Get to know the Word of God. Get to see Him outworking in your life that you can give God, I trust you. I know you're there for me. I know you got my back. Get into the Word of God. If you want to know Him, know His Word. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.